I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 8 of the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we are talking with Jack Newman, founder of the Austin Tennis Academy in Austin, Texas. Jack has an interesting background in tennis. He came to the sport late, played in college, but per his own admission, wasn't the best tennis player out there and came to tennis coaching in kind of an interesting roundabout way, which you'll have to listen to the rest of the podcast to hear. But I am just so excited to share Jack's story with you guys and for you to hear the philosophy behind Austin Tennis Academy. It's much more than just teaching these kids how to hit balls. So um, I hope you enjoy that conversation. Also, I want to just say that this podcast is coming to you from California. Yes, I have made my move to Southern California where I am going to be based for, well, who knows how long, but for at least the next six months. And I look forward to meeting Meeting those of you who are in the area, if you're coming out for a tournament or if you live in the area, please reach out to me. I am looking to network here and busy myself with getting out and about in the tennis community. So I look forward to hearing from those of you out here. Also, if you haven't already, please consider becoming a Patreon patron of Parenting Aces. The link to do that is in our show notes on parentingaces.com, so check that out. And if there's anything that y'all need from me through this podcast, through our website, through our social media, please, please, please do not hesitate to ask. Parenting Aces is here for you to help you do a better job as your child navigates the junior and college tennis journey. And we want to provide the information and the resources that you find most helpful. So email me, text me, hit me up through our social media channels. I am here for you. All right, time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode with Jack Newman. Jack Newman, thank you so much for joining us on the Parenting Aces podcast. It's really nice to speak with you again. Uh, It's been a while. Pleasure to be here. Well, we are going to talk all about the Austin Tennis Academy and how it works and some of the philosophies that you employ as the head guy there. But before we jump into that, I would love for you to give our audience a little bit of your tennis story. Sure. Happy to. So I grew up in Southern California in a place called Ontario, which is about 40 miles Southeast of Los Angeles. And I didn't start playing tennis until I was, uh, 13 or 14 years old. It was the summer before my eighth grade or ninth grade year. I can't remember exactly. And uh, there were uh, lessons at the local park, walking distance from my home. There's a two court facility, metal nets, cement courts, um, and started playing and really fell in love with the game and um, progressed very rapidly from that two court facility to the the high school, which was a little further bike ride away um, to the next level up of uh, lessons. These were all free lessons provided by the city of Ontario and just kept training and got better and got more excited, started playing some tournaments and 
played through high school, um, played in the CIF, uh, California Interscholastic Federation League, and uh, had some great um, experiences in high school tennis, actually playing against some female athletes. Um, Leah Antonopoulos was one of the girls that played on the boys' tennis team in that area. Um, and so that was pretty exciting and fun, too, for, for high school boys to get their um, – hats handed to them by some female athletes. So <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, my parents didn't knew nothing about tennis. Uh, neither had played. Both of my older sibling were water polo players and swimmers. And so um, they basically said, Hey, we'll join this club so you can get better, but don't expect us to, you know, do much else. So they dropped me off on a Saturday morning before uh, the club opened. And I would just hang out at the club pretty much the whole weekend and play tennis with whoever was there and um, just continued to try to progress. And I uh, uh, became a high school senior and looked at colleges um, and ended up going to Claremont McKenna College, which is uh, about 15 minutes from my home. And the, the coach there, Dr. Henry Krieger, was uh, one of the few people who recruited me to play tennis. I wasn't that good. Um and played for him there. And, and, uh, in the course of that time period, uh, I took five years to graduate. I took two semesters off to, uh, help run political congressional political campaigns. And, um, we, uh, my fifth year there, we lost in the national finals to the university of Redlands. So I got a chance to participate in team national competition, which was, um, probably some of the best tennis experiences I've ever had. And, uh, you know, if you would have made a list of people to be involved in tennis after college, I probably would have been dead last on everybody's list, including my own. Um, I was very heavily involved in politics. I, uh, had a fellowship to the university of Texas, um, uh, LBJ school of government and had a little, a window between, uh, ending one job and starting at LBJ and, Went back and taught some tennis at a, uh, a, a public facility in Dallas that I had uh, been invited to spend a summer with one of my college friends. And uh, I told him, well, I'm happy to come and spend the summer, but I can't do nothing. So he said, well, what can you do? And I said, well, I can play tennis. And so he helped me find a job at a local public facility where I taught for uh, one or two summers uh, while staying with his family. And then once I was uh, headed to LBJ, went back and spent six months at a place called Fretz F-R-E-T-Z Tennis Center in Dallas and started a junior program there. And um, the lady who was uh, running the facility for the city, Babs Gibbons, was incredibly encouraging. And so when the time rolled around to head to LBJ, I took a year deferment um, because I was really uh, falling in love with uh, coaching and took another year deferment and another year deferment. I guess I'm still deferring to the LBJ <laughs> school even today. Um, so that program grew and became pretty successful. And uh, we had a lot of great kids come through there and a lot of great players play uh, some fantastic college tennis. Um, and from there, a good friend of mine, Eric Schmidthauser, uh, wanted to develop a program that had great academics and great tennis. I think it was kind of a, uh, you know, fulfilling a lifelong need that he had as a, as a young tennis player. His dad was an international banker. So he, I think he attended school at the, 
you know, American school of Karachi and some places like that. And his dream was always to go to John Newcomb's tennis ranch and become a great tennis player. But his dad would never let him go because, uh, you know, he, he wanted him at home and he wanted him to go to these, these schools that his dad had lined out for him. So Eric approached me in Dallas saying, Hey, I want to, I want to pitch this idea to some private schools of, of having a tennis program at a private school. And we put together a business plan and a pitch and I helped him go to some schools and pitch the idea. And at that time, boarding schools in the United States had been declining. Uh, day schools had gotten a lot better. Uh, public schools had gotten a lot better. So boarding schools were not um, doing that great. And we pitched the idea to St. Stephen's School here in Austin. And they were really looking for ways to improve their boarding program. It had been founded as a boarding school and a lot of the influential alumni were boarders. And they wanted to have a healthy boarding program at the school because they had enjoyed that experience. So we pitched the idea that we can draw some fantastic student athletes to the school, improve the level of the boarding program, and um, you know help these student athletes uh, reach their goals. And the headmaster uh, hired a, a us. Eric came full time, and I came uh, once a quarter for a week for the first couple of years until Eric got the facility built. And then I joined him full time in 1996. And we built that program up uh, to about 2002. And then we kind of got caught in the crossfire of that same headmaster getting fired. Um, and we, uh, the school really wanted to shrink the tennis program down from what we had been doing. And of course, it's their school, so they can choose to do whatever they want. And we moved on to um, uh, founding the Austin Tennis Academy, which is uh, we did a year at uh, Barton Creek Country Club on rented courts while the facility was being built. Um, and we uh, took out a small business administration loan. Uh, did the entrepreneurial thing and built a program up from scratch. And uh, that was uh, 20 years ago, 2000 and, uh, or 17 years ago, 2003, we opened in the fall, Little Mo Nationals. We're coming up on that here pretty quick. So that's kind of the history of, of Jack Newman tennis. I played a lot of adult tennis. Uh, I've, I've played for uh, the Texas team and USPTA competitions and uh, age group tennis men's 25s, 35s, 45s, not, not as much recently competing, um, as building the, the business. But, uh, uh, again, looking back on it, uh, probably the, the least likely, uh, tennis CEO around. Well, I, were you a poli sci major in college? Yes. Okay. Me too. We have that in common. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you can see what I'm doing with my political science degree. <laughs> so, there you go. <laughs> Um, well, so your academy has grown and thrived and y'all host events and you attract players from all over the place, including my kid who came and trained with you a million years ago for a week when we were in Austin. And I, you have a very unique approach, I think, to training these youngsters and, there's something that jumped out at me when I was looking at your Academy website, and that was this whole notion of living the sport. And I would love for you to talk about that, what it means to you and how you share that message with the players and the families that come through your Academy. 
Sure. Well, I think, uh, first of all, I would say, you know, exactly what I mean when I say living the sport, because you've had a junior tennis player who's now maybe graduated from college, but, but gone through that whole process of traveling to national tournaments, training, finding a coach, finding fitness, all of those pieces of the development puzzle that have to be put together. So for me, the idea of living the sport means commitment. It means that you're making decisions through the prism of how does this impact me as an athlete? So for families, um, do we plan our vacations around the national tournament schedule? Well, if you're living the sport, yes. If you're not, then probably not. Um, If you're a student, and you've got 20 extra minutes at school, are you just kind of uh, hanging out on your phone or you're getting your homework done so that you can go do your training and then that night you can get to bed early so that you're 100% for the next day's training? You know, are you practicing when other people are taking the day off? You know, we have a lot of rainy day practices at ATA, but we only cancel practice for two things. One is ice on the roads and the other is tornadoes. Other than that, rainstorm, cold, we're having practice. We can do a lot of indoor practice, fitness practices, or mental toughness training practices. So people who are committed to being the best that they can be, um, that's really what living the sport means to me. I think um, some parts of that are, you know, skill, you know, self-esteem growing through skill acquisition, I think is a big part of that. Learning goal setting, learning stewardship, learning discipline, dedication, um, learning and living with integrity through the sport, um, expanding those skills into life skills that, that then permeate your entire life. You know, as, as teachers and, and coaches and mentors at the Austin Tennis Academy, we're also striving to improve ourselves and, and set a good example for our students. So we're living the sport as well as asking our parents and our students to live the sport. So that's kind of what it means to me. Yeah, I love that. And I, I honestly, I have a very vivid recollection of my son being at your academy and the way the day started was you had all the players down on the ground on the courts and you did like visualization or meditation with them before anything else happened that morning. And I'd never seen that in a group setting before with tennis. I I was very impressed by that and, and understand that my memory stinks, but that's one of those things that has stuck with me all these years. No, you're, you're on it. Interestingly enough, I'm, I'm doing a, starting a, a podcast of my own. And one of the, discussion topics of today's podcast was uh, five or six mental tools that we try to impart to our students. And one of them is exactly what you just described, which is uh, trying to put your brain into the alpha wave um, uh, rather than any other wave, which alpha is when you're kind of just almost falling asleep or almost waking up where your brain is, your subconscious mind is the most susceptible to the seeds that you plant in it. So yeah, starting practice with a short alpha session where uh, you can call it relaxation, you can call it meditation. We call it alpha because we're trying to get the brain in a certain place to be uh, accepting of the seeds that we plant. Um, We're still doing that same sort of thing. 
Um, so yeah, that, that's a, uh, that's a life skill. You know, there's, there's lots of ways to put yourself into a, a more relaxed and, um, a state that's better for competition. And so teaching our students how to put themselves in that state, um, for some of them, uh, they're very good at it right away. And for others, it takes years actually to get them to be able to lie still and breathe and focus. Mm -hmm. You know, another facet of what takes place at ATA is that you invest and you expect your players and families to invest in the community and to give back. And I'd love for you to share a little bit of that idea and, and specifics about how you make that happen. Sure. I think um, there's a great book, the seven habits of highly successful people. Right. And one of the, the, the habits is start with the end in mind. And the end for us is creating citizens of significance, not just accomplishment, you know, kids who can go out and do things and impact their communities and be global change makers. So we started on day one of our founding, make a commitment to a local charity, uh, a charity called a glimmer of hope here in Austin, um, founded by a family of actually tennis players uh, and a glimmer of hope does great work in Ethiopia and in Austin that in Ethiopia, they primarily do, um, water health, um, uh, microfinance projects. And in Austin, they're really working hard on the homeless issue in Austin now. So this organization, we made a commitment on the first day of our founding to raise a million dollars for this charity over the course of our business lifetime. And that's a well-known to our students and well-known to our parents. Um, we have the founders of A Glimmer of Hope at least once a year come and give presentations to the um, students at the Austin Tennis Academy. We've had many, many uh, variety of fundraising events uh, for Glimmer of Hope. Uh, one of our students who you may remember, uh, Josh Hager, who was the captain of the team at Notre Dame University and is now a successful businessman in Chicago, uh, started a, a campaign called Playing for Glimmer. And basically it was like a walk-a-thon, but you, know, you would pay for however many games the kids played over the course of a summer. And um, that was a very successful fundraising event. They've, kids have done bake sales. They've done uh, water walks where they carry jerry cans of water on their back and get people to sponsor them to do that. Um, we do a, a, a Calcutta team event every year and many years that uh, funding from that uh, goes to a glimmer of hope. So we're committed as an organization to raising this million dollars. I'm, I'm happy to tell you that we're over $650,000 into that fundraising wow. goal, um, closing in on a million. And so I'd say that, you know, we're uh, trying to um, expose our students to how lucky they are you know, through the, through the nature of where they were born, uh, their lives are going to be a certain path. And there are other people who were born in other places where their path is, is going to be a lot more challenging, a lot more difficult. Um, two of our, our students uh, that I'm especially proud of are uh, uh, at St. Stephen's Days. Blake Mykoski was one of our students, and Blake is the CEO and founder of Tom Shoes. And if you know anything about Tom's shoes, their, their model is for every pair of shoes or whatever they sell, they give a pair away. And I think that 
is a fantastic uh, way to change the world. And another one of our students, this is from Fretz Tennis Center days, um, Carla Rosenberg is the highest uh, ranked um, employee for uh, a female employee for Lee Gardere, which is kind of the IMG of Europe. Um, her function in the company is helping athletes build their own foundation and help those athletes give back to their communities wherever those athletes are. So those two former students are taking that idea of um, giving back to the community, taking that idea of being a citizen of significance and taking it to the, the highest level that they can. So of course, we're incredibly proud of them, but we're also proud of the, the kids that you know, raises $100 for a glimmer of hope or does a water walk and carries a jerry can on their back or um, does anything to help further that goal of being a person who's not only a taker, but also a giver. I just got chills listening to you. I mean, this to me, you know, and I talk about a lot, this whole notion of tennis being a microcosm of life and teaching life lessons and creating better human beings. And what you are doing at ATA encompasses that in such a significant way. Wow, Jack. I mean, that's that's so cool to hear. I, I did not know those stories. Um, and I, I want to just say I have helped the Tom's cause greatly <laughs> um, between me and my two daughters. We have yeah. contributed a lot of free shoes. Um, but I just think, you know, what what a gift you're giving these kids and and really the families, because let's face it, there are families out there who may not have come up with the notion of giving back. You know, maybe they weren't raised in homes where that was made a priority. And so you are modeling for them how they can do better in their own home, maybe for their kids that that aren't the tennis player that, that's out at Austin Tennis Academy several days a week, you know, but they have other children that may then pick up on this notion of community service, giving back, making a better world. And I, I just think that's so amazing. Well done. Thanks very much. I think that, um, you know, our impact is geared towards our students, but I think you're absolutely right in the point that you made, which is that oftentimes these students get motivated about something and they impact their family in a really positive way. And I've seen that a number of times where um, the students taught the parents. Mm -hmm. And even classmates at school, you know, I mean, it's not the, the, the ripples go outward, not inward, right? Exactly. So. Yeah. Very, very cool. All right. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to talk about what a typical day looks like at Austin Tennis Academy for the different levels of players, because not only do you'll produce high level collegiate athletes, you know, that go on to have an impact uh, in tennis, but you also have recreational players that come there and kids that are maybe, maybe going to play for their middle school or high school team and, that's going to be the extent of their competitive tennis. So how do you gear a program that encompasses the needs of all those different levels? Sure. So maybe a quick review of how all that works. So our year actually starts in the summer 
with 10 weeks of summer camps for kids who've never played tennis before. And they can be as young as five to eight. They could be as old as 12 or 13. Um, those kids come for a week, three hours a day for a week. So 15 hours of introduction to tennis. Um, some of them love it. Some of them don't. Uh, the ones that really enjoy it, oftentimes we'll get them back for three or four or five weeks. Um, and so that's our kind of introduction to tennis. We also spend um, a good deal of time in the seven elementary schools that surround the Austin Tennis Academy. We do a week twice a year with each PE class. So our coaches and our players, we bring in rackets, balls, nets, and we basically teach their PE class, teaching them tennis for a week, two times a year for a week. So that's our entry level program. Then in the fall of each year, we have about uh, 40 to 50 slots in our entry level program. Uh, one group of, uh, younger kids, you know, five to eight, and then another group from nine to 12, probably. And, uh, we don't have tryouts, but we offer invitations to the program based on their performance during summer camps. And that program is for, uh, the nine months of the school year. Kids go through that. They come back the next summer. They do some more camps. Then they might move up into uh, the next level program is called junior academy. So they've gone from junior develop, they've gone from summer camp to junior development. The next year they might come back and, and do junior academy, which is kind of a precursor to our academy program. So once they make the jump from um, junior development to junior academy, that commitment level jumps a lot. So during the school year, the junior development kids come for a couple hours twice a week. They do an hour and a half of tennis and 30 minutes of athletic skills. What we found, Lisa, is that a lot of school districts are cutting back PE time. Yep. So some of the basic skills that kids used to have from PE or playing on their own, uh, kids don't have as much these days. So we're doing a lot of running, throwing, tracking skills with kids for 30 minutes twice a week as, as part of their tennis training at that entry level um, junior development program. So then they might come back the next year to, to junior academy. And that means now in junior academy, there are some requirements. You have to be committed to playing uh, 12 tournaments a year. You have to be committed to having an hour private lesson with one of the coaches on our staff once a week. Um, basically your hours uh, that you train per week are, are uh, up to three days a week versus two for the junior development kids. And you know how it goes. Kids start playing junior team tennis. They start going to tournaments. They like it. They get a little success. They want to have more success. They work a little harder. They do a little bit more. And, you know, the next year, so this is a kid that maybe started as an eight-year-old. They're now 10. And maybe they want to play Little Mo Nationals, right? They're starting to play mm -hmm. tournaments. And they start to get involved in that. And so we have a 12 and under academy program for kids that are more committed. And from there, they go to, you know, as they get to be 13 or 14, we have a four-day-a-week program after school. Um, eight years ago, um, uh, with the extreme help of uh, Josh Hager's mom, Carol Hager, we founded uh, the Austin Tennis Academy College Prep School, which is a fully accredited private school, but very small. So the kids who, who go to four-day-a-week afternoon program, if they want more, if they want to do a higher level of commitment, we can offer them 
a private school environment and training twice a day rather than once a day. So that's kind of the gamut of our program and how kids um, start and kind of there's a there's a very organic progression as kids uh, get more passionate about the game and wanting to get better. Um, in our academy program, this is the afternoon uh, four-day program, as well as our college prep school. That group is about 80 students, um, 30 in the school and 50 who come just in the afternoon. Of those 80 kids, about 75 to 80% of them struck their first ball at ATA at a summer camp or in a junior development program. Uh, the other 25% um, either became the most passionate or the hardest working kid in their program and, and maybe outgrew what they were doing in their local program, or they moved to Austin because their parents have a different job and ATA fits the level of their commitment. So that's basically the system as it operates now. Um, for students at the Austin Tennis Academy. And one of the things that, again, that is kind of an underlying um, I, precept, I guess, of the Academy is this whole notion of character development and giving back, as we've already talked about with the community work, but it also pertains to how your players interact with each other, right? Yes. So, um one of our goals with students, if they're becoming better and better players and they want to play college tennis, uh, one of our goals for all of our students is to maximize college choice. So there's a number of ways that you can maximize college choice. Number one is to uh, open the funnel as wide as possible academically. Uh, give me a perfect 1600 on the SAT or a perfect 35 or 36 on the ACT the funnel opens much wider than if your scores are lower. Mm -hmm. another, another way to open up that process is to be as good a tennis player as you can be. If you're a top 50 nationally ranked tennis player and your UTR is 12.5, you're going to have different often options than if you're a you know good sectional player and your UTR is a 10.5. Right. Um, a third way to increase your um, college uh, option, uh, opportunity is these intangibles. So my experience has been that many, many times in the course of kids going through the college process, a college coach ends up having to make some sort of decision about a group of players that he's recruiting. And they all look very similar tennis wise. Their UTRs are very similar. They've played national tournaments at a very similar level. Their grades are very similar. Their SAT scores are very similar. So now how does that college coach, what's the tiebreaker, right? What's the tiebreaker for those uh, decisions for college coaches that end up being, I've got five guys or girls that I'm recruiting. They're all very similar. Who do I pick? Well, from my perspective, the number one way to clinch that tiebreaker is to have impeccable character, to be the person that can be the captain of that team someday. And so when I'm um, working with college coaches with uh, about ATA players, one of the things that I love to be able to tell them about is the character of the player, how that player is going to treat his teammates, how that player is going to treat the coach. And um, I think in my um, view, the last 10 years, the difference in recruiting for college from coaches is this. 
college coaches are much more apt to recruit a player who's going to be a great person to work with than a player who's going to be a higher level player. In other words, most coaches now these days seems to me want to have a good experience coaching. Yes, there's pressure on them to win, but if I can pick between five people and one is slightly better in tennis, but the others are all better people, I'm probably going to pick the better person. So in order to build that tiebreaker set of attributes, we do a couple things. One, number one, all of our players are asked to volunteer at least one hour and possibly two hours per week teaching younger players how to play tennis. So uh, I found this, basically I use this because of what happened in my own experience. I wasn't a very good tennis player in college. After college, I become much better at tennis, much more mature, much more um, accomplished. And I believe that happened because of my teaching. So the first five or six years I coached, uh, my tennis level increased dramatically each year. Basically, I think from understanding more about the game from having taught it. So I think it's crucially important both as a learning mechanism for our students, but also as a character mechanism that they teach tennis to younger players. Um, the experiences that we've had with this have been uniformly positive. Um, interestingly enough, I think we have introduced a number of people to their future profession um, because of that process. They I was going to ask you if yeah. you've tracked that. If, no, it, it's a, it's a big number. Kids that have gone into coaching from our program is a, is a probably a bigger number than, than the numbers might indicate because of that. But the reality is, um, you learn more by teaching. Uh, one of my colleagues, coach Kevin Clark says, when one teaches two learn, and it's a great thought, right? It's a great way to think about it. And so that's one part of that character development that goes on is, is kind of giving back to the program, giving back to the game. Another part is um, the greatest fear that most people have in the United States, and that is public speaking. So all of our players are put in position to have to speak publicly. At the end of every practice, we have uh, a, a short team meeting to discuss players who, who did a good job. We do an MVP every day at practice, player that did the best with a group of uh, players and coach. We also ask players to talk about other players. So that's one place where they start to learn public speaking. Every junior in our program is required to give a uh, speech at our end of the year party. Every um, senior is required to give two speeches. One at their signing ceremony where they choose their college. And the other is at the end of the year party. They, those seniors are required to give a speech about their experiences at ATA. So we also have alumni that visit quite often and give talks to our students. We also take our students to the workplace of our alumni to meet with them and to hear about their experiences. So we're trying to build this um, set of intangible skills of course, work ethic is one of those. Of course, uh, coachability is one of those. Of course, uh, ability to encourage and, and be a positive team player is one of those. So that set of skills 
it's not the number one thing that opens the funnel and it's probably not the number two thing that opens that funnel wider for college choice. But when you get down to the, the, the brass tacks of it and we're down to the last three or four people for one spot at a school, those intangibles become the tiebreaker. And so for us, it's a part of the culture of the program because we think it's important uh, who people become, but it's also important in a kind of strategic way to allow our players to have that ace up the sleeve when they need it, when that, that final college process is, is taking place and a coach is looking at one or two or three people and, and our player has a little bit better character and can demonstrate that, um, it helps in that decision-making process. So important in a lot of ways. What jumps out at me, Jack, is not once have you mentioned becoming a professional tennis player. You seem to be very focused on human development, college opportunity, um, future prospects for these kids, whether that includes playing professional tennis or not. And and I, it, I just find that so interesting because it's a lot of coaches you talk to gauge their success on one, how many of their players have gotten full rides to college. And I'm saying full with air quotes because we know how rare that is, especially on the boys side. Yep. And then also, you know, did they have a hand in developing this or that professional tennis player? Why is that not part of the conversation with you? Uh, first of all, I'd say I've been criticized in the past for exactly that thought that, that why aren't you talking about being a pro? And there's a, there's a lot of reasons why I think I'm not against people becoming a pro athlete. We've had a number of kids come through the Austin tennis Academy or Fretz tennis center or St. Stephen's who went on to play some pro tennis or have a career as a pro tennis player. I'm not against that. Um, however, the vast, 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 vast majority of students that come through our hands are never going to be pro athletes. And so the number one goal for our business, and the reason I think we're a successful business is that our goal is to leverage college choice, to get you to a better situation than you would have gotten into with just your academic credentials. That's what tennis is. It's a levering, uh, a force multiplier, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. So that's why it retains kind of our, our number one focus. Now, you may remember one of our students, Ashley Weinholt, uh, yeah. won the girls 18s national championship. We recommended to her to go pro. We did not recommend for her to go to college. Now, in the course of 30 years of coaching, she's the only one. I haven't recommended to any other student, hey, you need to go to the pro tour right now because the, the, you're so good. Um, there's, a, there's a guy, and I can't remember, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I cannot give credit to this, but basically his article was, the game will let you know what your level is supposed to be, right? right. If, you're a, if you're a junior tennis player and you're racking up the gold balls and you're winning ITF level twos, as a 15 year old and you're going to the junior grand slams and you're in the quarters and the semis of junior grand slams, your chances of being a professional tennis athlete are probably pretty good. If however, you're a very good college tennis player and you play lines four, five, six for a 
pretty good division one team, your chances of being a successful pro are probably pretty small. Now, that's not to say there aren't people out there that that goal is so important to them that they can turn that those statistics around. You know, I've had a couple kids who really wanted to play pro tennis and they went out and they grinded it out and they played pro tennis and they won matches and they got paid and they had a, a, a tremendous experience traveling the world. Uh, but and the bottom line is uh, very few of them played for more than five or six years. You know, Ashley Weinhold played professional tennis for 10 years, played all the grand slams, was ranked as high as a hundred in doubles and 200 in singles. She had a very successful pro career in my view, right? In 30 years of coaching, she's been the one, mm -hmm. um, the rest all needed to go to college, get a degree, have the experience of having your college, uh, tennis paid for, for you, e explore and see how good you could become. Hey, win the NCAA championship and then turn pro, right? So I think that if you also look at the stats of the average age of pro tennis players, both on the men's and women's tour, that age keeps creeping up higher yeah. and higher and higher and higher. And so I, I think it's uh, a disservice to focus on that goal with the majority of junior tennis players and their parents. I think there's a lot of people out there selling the dream of pro tennis. And certainly I'm not one to quash anybody's dreams, but I also have a lot of experience and I have a lot of uh, time going through a lot of different tennis players process to know what's realistic. There's another set of statistics out there that I, I'm sure you've seen it that talks about um, kids starting junior sports and then from junior sports to high school and then high school to college and from college to pros. And mm -hmm. those numbers dwindle the drop. <laughs> yeah. Dramatically. It's, yeah. I, I think it's down to like a 0.0%, you know, 0.02% of people who start a junior sport end up being a professional athlete in that sport. Mm -hmm. So the numbers are not great. And th there's going to be some amazing Athletes, you know, we've been uh, very fortunate to be able to host the Little Mo Nationals for the last uh, 15 years. And we've seen people like Taylor Fritz and Coco and many others, excuse me, <coughs> come through our facility and show us some amazing level of talent and drive. And so they're out there and they're going to be successful. And uh, I am their number one cheerleader. Uh, but our program really is focused in on a couple things. One is this idea of getting to a better college situation that you wouldn't have gotten into without tennis. And the other is um, developing your character so that you can make a contribution to society. Well, I, I love that mission. I think, um, you know, it's, it's honorable. It's necessary. I wish that more coaches talked about those things and maybe there are coaches doing similar work out there. I, I hope there are because you are one academy in, in one city in our country, you know, in the world. But um, I, I love hearing about the work you guys are doing and, and I just think it's phenomenal. We were, honing in on our last few minutes because I know you've got to get back out on the courts. But before we finish, I wanted, Jack, just to ask you about any parent education opportunities that you guys offer at ATA. Sure. 
So one of the conversations that we often have as a staff is that when you become the primary coach of a student, you are also the primary coach of the, that student's parents. And um, our parent education is ongoing. I would say uh, kids who are national level competitors, our coaches are having conversations weekly with those parents, whether it's about training or tournament schedule or injuries or fitness regimen, um, that communication between the primary coach and parents, um, you just cannot allow that to lay on the side. You have to be proactive. You have to be communicating with parents on a regular basis. I think that uh, in addition to that, we offer group parent meetings where uh, different topics are discussed. You know, our beginning of the year uh, conversation with parents has a lot to do with the levers that they can help pull to help their child's development, you know, the quantity of time, the quality of time, the quantity of tournament opportunities, um, the feedback that parents need to give to help their, their players develop. You know, one of the books that we recommend to our parents is something called uh, Whale Done, W-H-A-L-E by Ken Blanchard. Basically, he talks about how they train killer whales to do tricks and whether you're uh, uh, in favor or not of training killer whales, the way that they do it is is entirely through positive reinforcement. Um, and so I think that treating your junior tennis player uh, in that way um, with as much positive reinforcement as possible is challenging for some coaches and challenging for some parents. So helping parents become educated on that is something that we're very excited about doing. I would say the other element of parent education has to do with the culture of your program. So we, we try to build a community at ATA. So it, once you become a part of the program, you're part of the ATA pack. And when you're part of the ATA pack, we, we want to help you, whether that's, um, you know, uh, our students coming back and, and having uh, internships with families of other students whether that's uh, helping a fa family whose uh, financial situation um, uh, went bad, um, whether that's uh, helping our students and their families understand and go through the processes that all families go through, whether that's divorce or death in the family or any of those other things. So we're constantly having these uh, both individual conversations and then group conversations. And then we have social events. We have an end of the year party and we have a Christmas party where every member of the community is invited and we have a lot of uh, celebration of the successes of the year. We have our students speaking and, and um, I think those are impressive for the parents of younger kids can model and meet with and talk to the parents of older kids at these social events, which is a great education for them in itself. So we think that the the constant kind of individual group and social interactions are essential for educating parents to allow them to help their junior tennis player reach their goals. I love that. Well, Jack Newman, you have ticked all my boxes. So thank you so much for sharing your philosophy of coaching and how you guys approach things at Austin Tennis Academy and for talking with us today. And, and good luck with your podcast. Where can we find your podcast? Uh, Double Bagel is the podcast. Uh, Love it. I think we've, uh, we've got one out there already. We've, we're ready to release another one, I think, pretty quick. But uh, yeah, Dewey's been helping me with that. And uh, Kim has been coaching me on how to uh, be a better podcaster. So I'll, I'll have to listen to your podcasts that are online 
to uh, get some tips. <laughs> well, I might need to listen to yours to get to some of the tips. It sounds like you've got some great guidance there. So congratulations. And for my listeners, please know we will have a link to Austin Tennis Academy in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So if you have questions or need more information or interested in taking your child there for a summer camp or something else, you will be able to click on that link and get where you need to be. Jack, thanks again for doing this. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.